You're listening to the Tuna Town Talks Fishing Podcast with Captain Paul Miller. Hello everyone, and thanks for listening. I'm a full-time charter captain based out of Ennis, Louisiana, and over the years I've seen some of the most incredible things, and some of my friends have told me some of the most unbelievable stories, so much to where I decided I would like to start a podcast. And now a word from our title sponsor, Blue Wave Boats. Blue Wave has been the number one selling bay boat along the Gulf Coast for many years now. And with over 50 square miles of marsh located out of Venice, Louisiana, it is essential that I choose the right boat to put my clients on fish. For the last four to five years, I've been using a 24-foot bay boat powered with a single 300 Suzuki, and it's been an amazing boat. However, over the years, I've also learned that I like to target a lot of different species that are near shore, so having a bigger boat with more power could help with that, which is why I've decided to move to a 26 Pier Bay powered with twin 200 Suzukis, and this has been the perfect size boat for being able to target multiple different species, especially because the boat has over four live wheels in it, which allows me to use multiple different baits to target multiple different species. With the flush mounted seating, I'm also able to maintain ample fishability, all while still providing a comfortable ride for my clients. With the step toll technology, I'm able to be more fuel efficient at higher speeds, which is also a huge advantage when making long runs through the marsh. If you would like to purchase a Blue Wave boat, head on over to bluewaveboats.com where you can find your local dealer. One of my favorite things to eat while out on the water is either beef jerky or snack sticks. And my favorite place to get this is bourgeoismeatmarket.com. That's right, guys. This is some really good stuff. They don't use any nitrates or preservatives. It comes from one of the oldest meat markets in the world with over 130 years in existence and their fourth generation taking over now. I really want to get the word out about their product and how easy it is to go on their website, order what you want, and leave it on your boat. So go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's right, guys. Go to bourgeoismeatmarket.com and use code TUNATOWNTALKS in all capital letters to get 10% off your order. That's bourgeoismeatmarket.com. B-O-U-R-G-E-O-I-S meatmarket.com. Alright guys, today I'm here with a YouTuber um, and a Venice Venice resident. Yeah, it's going to be a cool one. This is uh, Joe Von Thrawn, right? Yes, sir. What's up, man? <laughs> How's it going? It's going good. Cool, man. Um, yeah, guys, I've I've known about Joe for uh, quite a long time. He's He has a YouTube channel. And uh, how long have you been in Venice now? A couple years? About uh, a year. A year? Yeah, a little one, over one, a year. One, one full year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's had some uh, really good catches and a lot of really cool uh, videos. What's your YouTube channel's name? Joe VT Fishing. Joe VT Fishing. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. And, uh, dude, you just put out – I was kind of, like, looking through your channel a little bit, just kind of getting ready to do this interview. But um, you guys caught some big tunas here recently, huh? Yeah, that was uh... – Tell us about that a little bit, just to kind of start the start the show, and then we'll get back into your your backstory and all that. Yeah, that was a uh, really a day of dreams. That's one of the cooler days of fishing I've had, in my opinion. That's the best video I've made, and everything just just happened so fast, and it was a culmination of a bunch of things that were perfect. You know, we left early. Um, we got there to the area where we eventually caught the fish right when they first came up. So what time um, did you guys leave the marina that morning? We left at around 5.15. And like I said, 
culmination of all things that were perfect. The guys that were with us were three, you know, young dudes that knew how to pull on fish really well. And uh, we got out there, and, you know, these guys are making good casts. And, you know, they were selfless and not, you know, everyone gets in this mindset. Like, they want to land those tuna, and you can't. They're, you have to land those fish as fast as possible. Like, Due to sharks. Sharks. Just more just things can hooks. happen. Yeah, more things can right, happen so, the longer they're in the water. And they, they were getting me on the rod. They were getting Bob on the rod. Um, so five people were, you know, as soon as we were getting kind of tired, passing the rod off. And we caught, uh, first fish was a 192. We caught that on a troll bait, uh, just like a little pogey X-wrap. And, uh, you know, it was there was just acres of fish. And we were just putting along, just, I mean, they were everywhere. And one of the clients actually leaked that out out the back and it was like wow we just got bit on a 50 watt it's like a thing of dreams like it's it sucks i hate catching those fish <laughs> on spinning reels on popper because they'll just whoop and... yeah they'll just whoop your ass am i allowed to cuss absolutely okay, yeah cool. i don't care because <laughs> those those fish just whoop your ass sometimes on spinning rods yeah so we got that one in 13 minutes on the 50 and then we hook another one on a popper that was a 178 we caught that in nine and a half minutes and then we Hooked a 201. Why do you think they were coming in so quick? I mean, was it you guys were just putting a lot of heat on these fish? or A lot of heat, and like I said, those guys pulled on fish super well. And uh, I feel like sometimes they just don't have as much spunk in them for some reason. They definitely uh, – so especially the fish that we've hooked like yesterday and the day before, those uh, – like they didn't have an insane initial run. Yeah. Like they always have. Like we had fish yesterday that were that were pulling off, you know, easily 200 yards of line on that first run. Like, yeah. in an instant. And we really, I mean, they did a run, but it wasn't like, it wasn't anything substantial, you know? Mm-hmm. So they didn't run super far. We didn't really have to chase them that much. Um, yeah, and they, they just kind of stayed a lot closer than usual. And that was another thing that was, you know. That last one fish, of how long did that last one take? Seven and a half minutes. So they were all under 10-minute fights. Oh, yeah. Oh, 13 minutes on the 50-wide. On the 50-wide. Yeah, was the 50-wide took the longest. And you had it all timed out because it was all recorded. It's all time-stamped, yeah. Yeah, it's all time-stamped. And it's That's funny, crazy, uh, when we hooked the 201, we actually, in the video, you can hear Bob saying, it's like, oh, my God, it's it's uh, 649 right now. Yeah, yeah, I saw his thing on, on Instagram. It was yeah, pretty cool. 649, <laughs> and then we boat the fish and then I after we boat the fish and kind of wind down I grab my phone and start recording and I go to the GPS and it's 801 or 701 mm-hmm. I was like uh, looking back at that I was like oh my god it's like did we really just land that fish in <laughs> seven minutes point? on a spinner yeah it was yeah it was it was insane I really it was one of the cooler what time did you guys make it back to the dock that day noon we went noon. out and uh we actually hooked three or four more, really, but it was just kind of those. For whatever reason, you know, you hook them and they you just pull hooks immediately. Yeah. Uh, thank God. We, I mean, we had three. We had more than enough. We were gonna probably release if we had another really big one. We were definitely gonna release it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, we kept on hooking fish, <laughs> uh, and that's I think where we got probably the best clips in that video of those fish eating right next to the boat yeah dude, i saw it, it was insane yeah okay, for all you guys that want to like this is a cool story but if you want to actually see it all go like go check out joe's uh channel and uh yeah the videos were 
epic, dude. Super yeah. cool. <laughs> but yeah, Bob had one where he's zooming in on a, a little stick bait on the surface, and a tuna rolls on it, comes, to, it, eats it coming towards the boat. He about runs into the boat with the lure in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and he's and then he turns the camera around and starts talking. It was like, this is incredible. It's like, it doesn't get any better in the, than this. <laughs> and he turns the phone around, and there's a 180-pound yellowfin that, you know, comes completely out of the water five feet from him. It's just yeah. like, it was just like a cinematic moment. It was, yeah, right. it was special. You know, I wonder, you know, like, you guys were there clearly when they had started feeding probably. Like, they probably started right at daybreak and you guys yeah, were there. Yeah, right at light. I mean, right it was. at the right time. Yeah. But I wonder if there's something to, like, those fish are already a little bit exhausted from feeding a lot. And then when you hook them, maybe they just, or do you really think it was that much heat? Because, I mean, I've landed some fish, some pretty big fish, like, really quick, like you're saying, too. Mm -hmm. But, like, I just wonder if there's there's something going on that where those days that they don't have this, you know, hard initial run where you're, you know, you're, you're, you're hard yeah. out from Jump Street, it seems like. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if there's something you can pinpoint it on. Uh, I mean, it's possible that they, you know, swordfish are the night. same way, too, you know. Like, you hook a swordfish and he's 100 pounds and you fight him for, like, an hour and a half, two hours. And yeah. You're like, I think you know, it's just all about – I think it's just all about – it's weird, right? <laughs> yeah, all about like individual fish. I don't know if you could pinpoint it on a certain thing. I'm sure yeah. if you get really scientific with it, there's something to it. But yeah, it's a combination of things. A lot of heat, fish might be tired or whatever. Right, just time of day type of thing. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be cool <laughs> to pinpoint something like that. I'm, I, yeah, I really can't say anything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just you. Like I said, a culmination of all things that were perfect. That was that was a big help. Them yeah. not <laughs> taken out. <laughs> three quarters of the spool to start the fight right so uh joe where where are you from originally i'm from jacksonville florida jacksonville uh, yeah, florida I, I grew up there and uh while i was in college i actually went to the university of tennessee and i was on the football coaching staff there really oh yeah yeah so that yeah, was that's that's, that cool. was a huge football is a huge part of my life and what, what part be. of the coaching staff i was the assistant to the uh db's coach and the defensive coordinator Oh wow! Yeah, that's a whole. That's so. A, did you play too, or mm -hmm. no? Nope, straight into coaching at a high school. At a high school and went into coach. Did you go to school there as well? I did. Yeah, you were in school mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, that was a cool part of my life. But in the summers, I uh, I worked on the party boat out of Jacksonville, the Mainport Princess and the Majesty. And uh, I am summers uh, when you were in college. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I uh, eventually moved back and did that full time. I was on. I was there for. I think six. I think it was six or seven years. You were coaching, or no? Oh, on I was on boats. on those boats, and uh, you know, bottom fishing is my thing. I'm a meathead. <laughs> I just love bottom fishing. Uh, done a decent amount of commercial fishing. Did you Did you fish prior to all that? Like, did yeah. you you, you yeah, fished all up, up, grew I grew up, up your fishing. whole life. I started. You know, I really became big into fishing when I was like. Tw I I remember it clear as day. Uh, we uh. There's a pier in Jacksonville Beach, and uh, my mom got me and my brother this Florida field guide, and it had all, like, the animals and flora and fauna and stuff like that. And I was I always liked fishing and thought it was super interesting and, like, looked at all the fish. I remember there's Spanish mackerel in there, and I was thinking, I was like, like man, I wonder, I wonder where you go to catch that. And I, just, I still remember it clear as day, walking out to the end of the pier with, like, my dad and my brother, and somebody – showed us this giant Spanish mackerel. You know those, like, cube coolers? I still remember. There was no ice in it. It was just a super <laughs> fresh, beautiful, big Spanish mackerel. And I remember seeing that. I was like, 
I want to come here and catch that. And that was the beginning of the end for me for fishing. And, you were uh, like 12 years old? You 12 said? years old, yeah. yeah. I spent an ungodly amount of time on the end of that pier uh, kingfishing. I was terrible at it, but, uh, you know, that's that's really where it began. That's yeah. that's That was the start. And uh, I, that, I really have great memories on that pier and met a lot of people, still talk to people this day. It was a, it was sad. It got a uh, I think Hurricane Matthew it got destroyed, uh, so that was sad. But they actually just reopened it. Um, the pier. Yeah, they rebuilt it and reopened it. It was a multi-year process. And it's so uh, cool hearing that, man. Like I, I've talked to a lot of uh, some of the other deckhands and stuff down here, like on the Panhandle, and mm-hmm. they grew up fishing on those piers where, you know, I, I've never really fished them, but I'll go down there and see them and just see all the people, you know, lined up and. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. pretty cool because you you got to really want it. <laughs> There's a lot yeah, of time. Right. There's a lot of time that that gets spent. <laughs> yeah, there is a. There's people that are just, they won't fish anywhere else but the pier. It was funny. I actually walked out on the new pier uh, right before I came back in January, and there was people there that I recognized from when I was 12 and 13 years old, just grinding. Like there was no special <laughs> bite of fish going on they're still there <laughs> like they're picking at whiting and like there was nothing spectacular but it's like every free moment uh that these guys have like they'll spend on the pier and that's how i was growing up uh yeah i spent a lot of time on that damn pier man <laughs> that's cool when did so then you started doing like the what were those like head boats and stuff you said you were working on yeah so yeah I, I started i started that um and that was you know just bottom fishing it was still pretty decent back then uh, mm-hmm. we fished what's called our party grounds which is inside of 30 miles um, jacksonville is unique because we have uh 60 miles of bottom to what we refer to as the break some people call it the ledge or whatever it's the continental shelf where it really starts dropping off uh so bo- uh, bottom fishing is you know the way of life there. there there's that and then like right now they're big into the wahoo fishing yeah and a lot of those boats some of the best boats in Jacksonville Center consoles, they don't even see the water until the Wahoos show up. It's really mm-hmm. weird. Um, like me being a meathead, I can't wrap my head around that. But um, <laughs> it's just so, like burning fuel, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. God, high speeding is miserable sometimes, man. Yeah. You guys got it good here. Like, just <laughs> you can you know, slow down and <laughs> yeah, stop and just like, hey, we're we'll we'll just check this rig out and just put a couple of nomads out. Yeah. Pull maybe pull one or two, then go do something else instead of selling your soul for an entire day. Right, going right. sixteen to eighteen knots, just burning fuel, <laughs> praying to God for one fish. <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. So like, uh, bottom fishing is really, I would say, like the way to go there. Like if you fish a lot in Jacksonville, you're probably bottom fishing. Yeah. And uh, like so, there what is ye- a, what year? What year time frame were you doing all that work? Over? Uh, eighteen to like, I guess. When I stopped, I was like 25 or 26, something like that, or 17 to that time. Um, oh, okay, so quite a long time, almost 10 years, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a while. But uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, the bottom fishing was very good inside of 30 miles. Uh, and it got progressively worse uh, as time went on. And uh, – Mainly, I can attribute that to the red snapper population, and uh, that 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 has just really destroyed that fishery. Like you can't catch. It used to be a really good grouper fishery inside of thirty miles up until about ten or twelve years ago. Really? And uh, those fish, they are they're just not there anymore. They, I think they just got pushed offshore, just bullied out. Do you think or, it's because of too many red snappers? Yeah, absolutely. 
100 percent um it never used to be like that <clears throat> you used to always have do you think they're still there there's just so many red snappers or do there's you some think? that are still there you can catch them and dive or see them and stuff like that but it's just um, not the same at all no it's it would i don't think it'll ever recover as long as they're there's close. Um, yeah, I say it all the time. Those seasons on the red snapper make a, a real imbalance in the ecosystem. Yeah, you know? it's uh because of the way that they they take them all out at one time in like a couple week time frame. Really, like that's when the most of them get taken out, and then you know it's it's kind of yeah, weird. It's only a couple happens. days on that side, man. I yeah, hate it's yeah, it's like even shorter over there, right? Yeah, it's uh, I think like the when they first started reopening it, they did like. 10 or 11 days in the winter, so it was hard to fish because of the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they're doing it in the summertime, and it's either, I think, three years ago it was five days, and then the next year was three days, and I think last year was two days. Uh, wow. But, yeah, man, that's those red snapper, they really destroyed our fishery. And also another th- crazy thing that happened to the grouper, um, shit, I guess this was like 2015 or so, The our divers, there's a – there's divers that do you know diving charters and go spear fishing and stuff. spear fishing or just sightseeing wrecks and things like that and they started seeing uh just dead grouper on the bottom and there was a and it really? kept happening more and more i don't know what happened but there was a giant grouper die-off just a fish from kill. natural causes yeah it was really weird um so that didn't help uh it was already going in the wrong direction but that really sprung it like it was it became, uh, you know, you catch a grouper every couple weeks till you you would you wouldn't get them at all. Uh, they used to catch a lot of scamps inside of thirty miles, a lot of keeper scamps. Um, and all my years in, uh, I guess twelve or fifteen, twelve to fifteen years of fishing heavily offshore in Jacksonville, I've never seen a keeper scamp inside of thirty miles. So those are completely gone. And uh, hmm. the best bite of scamps. That's ever happened out of Jacksonville was in the party grounds. They caught, I think, there was one wreck that was holding them, and they caught, I think, like 35 in two days. Wow. Yeah, and they were, it was. Say, you saying that they, they found them dead on the bottom almost makes me think it might be like a water quality problem or something like that. It could too. be, but then you would could think that. Could be a combination that, of things. Yeah, right? but then you would think other fish would be dying too. Yeah, it was, right. I don't know how to explain that. That's, yeah. That's crazy, though. <laughs> yeah, and that hurts me a lot because that's, that's like your backyard, my, man. It's my backyard, and it's my favorite fish to catch. Like, yeah. my, my I guess, red dragon was catching a freight train, you know, a big, big a, like a 40-pound gag. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was after that fish forever. And uh, my uh, good friend, Jonathan, that I commercial fish with, uh, you know, I was at it forever, and then I finally got got one. And I just remember just just being elated. And then we went a week later, and I caught two in the same trip. <laughs> really? So I went from catching none to catching three in a six-day period. Wow. Yeah, so it was pretty wild. Freight train McGee. But uh, that's crazy how, like, the, the, th- the same thing has happened to me several times in my life. Like, you, like, visualize something. You want it so bad. You keep praying yeah. for it. You think about it. You dream about it. And then one day it, like, happens. And a lot of, like – I almost had a very similar dealing with a different fish, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's that's pretty cool to hear that happen to you. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was special. It's I, called a, a delayed reward. <laughs> yeah, something like that, <laughs> all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was cool, man. 
So where did you would you do after you left there? Like what was the next step? I went to California. I worked in the long range fleet there for uh, for a year, and then COVID happened, so I came back and then started doing charters in Jacksonville. But uh, so you yeah, were there. How long were you over there? Just for one year. Just one year. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned how to live bait tuna fish. And those guys, they are the best in the world at it because they have a lot of fish. I would say that their ceiling, in terms of how good the fishing gets, is way higher, uh, but their floor is way lower like it's, it's a very on or off <laughs> yeah that and it's a super narrow fishery man like there's not a lot of species to catch you, i mean the bread and butter there is is the uh bluefin right? yellowfin and bluefin um the bluefin have gotten better every single year that's become a really special fishery there um ev- yeah they used to not be there and there used to be a ton of albacore there albacore used to be kind of their bread and butter um whatever reason the albacore now are way north you, the, you don't catch them in san diego anymore and that used to be probably their most populated fish species there and then the bluefins moved in when they moved out which is a pretty decent trade i think but uh <laughs> and then like in the summertime like august september uh that's when the school yellowfin are right out of san diego and that's when all the wreck boats fish and uh like I said, their bread and butter is those tuna and then the yellowtail, California yellowtail, which is a really fun fishery. And then you got some, like, some halibut and then white sea bass certain types of times a year. And uh, calico bass and at, the, like, the coronados and stuff. And that's pretty much it. Like, there's not a lot of stuff to fish for out there. Yeah. So there's some of the – There's not as much variety as here in Venice, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, in the Atlantic in general. I mean, you just – like, you can always find something that's biting. Like, we have – Yeah. A super extensive, um, you know, bottom fishery. You can go billfish. You can go catch tons of stuff. In, I mean, there's so many different species to go after. There's really not right. a lot there. They got, like, rockfish in there, too. But So, when you say long range, I know there's levels to the, the long ranges. Like, right. how long would you guys go out? Uh, we would do 7 to 16 day trips. 7 to 16 days. Right. Wow. And, uh, like I was saying before, like, I learned how to tuna fish there like those guys are the best at it because they have nothing else really to fish for from a very young age that's what they were doing they were live they were you know freelining or they call it fly lining uh live sardines and live anchovies from a very young age so if you look at like those videos or if you ever look at videos of long range it looks just like a complete you know cluster a mess because you have 25 people everybody's trying to fish yeah but it's it's very beautifully you know made chaos that is very organized yeah underneath. watch one of your videos on it it's yeah. pretty uh yeah like you said it's like organized chaos almost yeah, yeah it's an or- beautiful orchestration of organized chaos that's what i was going at but uh <laughs> like these guys they know how to follow their baits they know you know how to swim these baits the right way you know bait selection is huge uh the swimming baits out is huge uh so very very high detail in um, the way that your bait is, presentation, um, bait selection, like it's everything there. And that's like all they do. So these guys, um, the boat that I worked on was called Spirit of Adventure. And uh, the guys that fished that boat um, had been doing the same charter on that boat for like over 20 years. And these guys are old dudes, but they were, I've seen some of, like they were nasty on rod and reel. There's some guys that just fought fish so well these you know 60 year old guys just putting wood to these fish Mm -hmm. like very impressive and uh 
You know, they all, everybody casts super well. They don't use spinning reels over there, so it's all conventional and uh, casting wahoo bombs and surface irons and stuff like that. Like it's there's yeah. some very impressive fishermen over there. Um, yeah. Would you say that the client, the clientele there, they might fish more often, like the the people? No, no, definitely not. They only fish. I mean, like I said, it's. But a lot of times I've heard on those boats, I, I talk, I ask my client because every I, I get to know my clients pretty well, and every once in a while I have somebody that's been on one of those things, and they say that a lot of times you have to bring all your own stuff, right? Oh Is yeah, hundred percent, especially all the your own tackle and everything. Yeah, we had some loaner tackle, but it wasn't much, and you can rent tackle from the marinas, but. If you're doing those long-range trips, you kind of know what you're getting into because it's, it's an investment. They are so expensive. Uh, like, depending on the time of the year, it'd be like 450 to 550 a day, and I can only imagine that that price has increased significantly yeah. um, since 2019. But, uh, yeah, everybody brings everything. I think the most rods we had on the boat at one time was, like, almost 300. Jesus. Yeah, it was. Christ. Oh no, it wasn't three hundred. It was. It was two. It was almost two hundred. Wow. Yeah, it was one of our charters that is like. There's like a group of probably thirty guys that fish that boat three to five trips. That That's year. what I mean, though. Like you're like our. I mean, I feel like most of our people that we take fishing wouldn't have the gear to do all that kind of stuff i mean do these people they come a lot and they have all their own gear and they fish quite a bit is that the type of clientele that's there well they just you know it's it's kind of they collect it over a a series of years and um so they might not fish that often really no the people they really don't you know i would say like that was probably the only times that those guys fish were those you know seven day trips so maybe you know, they're retired, so they get to fish more, maybe like 30 days a year. Like, they just don't fish that much. Like, there's nothing to fish for. Like, Right, right, right. If And there's not really – I mean, you can go out and do, like, a day trip or whatever. Uh, those can be fun, but it's, you know, it's tuna fishing. It's hit or miss. And I guess there's levels to it, too, what we consider fishing a lot and what, mm. like, you know, somebody that fishes for fun fishes a lot is, right. is a totally different thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. We do it for work. We have to fish every day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> as, as many days as we can. Yeah, but – uh. <laughs> Yeah, everyone has their own tackle. Everybody does their own stuff. Um, the back deck is just littered with, you know, tackle boxes and uh, just so much gear. They're, like, the amount of gear on those trips was ridiculous. <laughs> like, So what do you do as a deckhand? Do you, like, try and help them decide, like, what to put on and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, help or, them. Some I mean, I guess you guys tell them what to bring, huh? They know what to – well, our they people, know. they knew what to bring. But, they know what um, to bring. They, uh, I mean, it's – like I said, it's like an investment. So if you do it correctly, it, you should extensively research like the type of tackle to use. Really, what you needed was like something to cast surface irons on, um, which I would have suggested like an eight or nine foot rod with a tr- with the big tranks or a big Daiwa Lexa. Those are the most fun for that. It, those are good for uh, surface iron, yellowtail, smaller yellowfin, and wahoo as well. Yeah, uh, it's weird saying to catch a wahoo on a bait caster but it was that's one it of the works. best oh yeah really? one of the best setups i have some it. of those i i've been using those lexa uh 400s dude and those things are badass yeah i, I want to i feel like alexa you can catch badly. a like you i have five of them i feel like you can catch a speckled trout or or a tuna on them <laughs> i feel like it's like 100 oh, percent. <laughs> there was one night that uh we ended the for whatever reason that year that just fish just didn't bite at night it was right at dusk and people were done fishing 
Uh, we must have had a. I think we were we were catching wahoo that day. People were kind of done fishing for the day, and I just put a bait out like right at last light with one of the Lexas on a nine foot rod, and I caught like a two hundred pound hammerhead with it. Really? Yeah, I fought it for like thirty minutes. It was pretty wow. wild. Yeah, those those reels are amazing. I've I've said for a long time that I'm gonna buy one, but uh, yeah, I really want one. <laughs> There's just yeah, you, you can catch. I some bought five of them last stuff. year, and I've I, I got to get some new rods. Um, I broke and lost a bunch of rods, but um, yeah, man, I love them. I really do. And trying to find the right rod for him for me took a little time, but I think I found the right rod. The, yeah. the, the Herald over at Poseidon Rods is making some rods for me now. Oh, that's cool. And they're, like, I really like them. What they're are you like, doing, seven foot, them. eight foot? Eight foot. And he, he's got two different kinds that I like. One's got, like, a really soft tip, so you can work a bait with it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then the other one's, like, stiff all the way through. It's meat stick. So, <laughs> I like it a lot. But, um. Yeah, man. Anyways, um, what was, like, some of the bigger tunas you guys landed out there on those long greens? We actually, the year I was there, didn't really catch, um, like, we didn't, I don't even think we caught a cow that year, actually. Really? That's, like, their scale. Cows is a 200-pound tuna, and a super cow is a 300-pound. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was kind of off year for big fish, but okay. we did, I think the biggest bluefin we caught was 181. Um, nice. That's a nice fish. Yeah, and the, we, we caught a lot of, like, 150s and 160s and stuff like that. Uh but uh yeah and it's all on it's the 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 size of the tackle that they use over there would just people would lose would like not it's when i first got there like i didn't even believe it the the size leader and the size hooks that they use is so small and so light yeah like these, would, like i like that big one when they all caught what what size tackle were you all using the big one was on a kite the biggest one we caught on regular uh rod and reel was i think it was 170 it was 170 something but that was on a uh, Pen Fathom 2 speed on a 7-foot rod. I think it was on 50 or 60 pound liter. Wow. And just tiny hooks, like 1-0s, 2-0s, number one. So just hook, like just hook. 1-0s, 2-0s? Yeah, like I'm talking tiny. Wow. Like, yeah, I mean, if you look at the packs of, like, the Gorilla Light hooks, mm -hmm. that's what I, I like using those for sheep's head. And if you get the bulk packaging, it has a bluefin and a California yellowtail on it. Like that's those, what that's what use. those were made for. Wow. Yeah, that's it's crazy. it's it's crazy, and it really kind of opens your eyes to what's possible. To what? Yeah, exactly. Like you can really like I sometimes obviously here you don't have a choice. You have to use heavier stuff. Uh, but I I like small hooks. I like ring hooks because of that. They all use ring hooks over there. Uh, um, it, yeah, it really opened my eyes to, like you said, what is possible and what, yeah. uh, how far you can take your gear. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive. It's a, it's a very cool fishery. Do but, they have many sharks over there that mess with you guys? Like, So, so that's where I was about to segue to. My favorite place on the planet is Guadalupe Island. You guys, um, you went there? Oh yeah. We did a lot of trips there. Really? Yeah. Uh, and there at Guadalupe Island, that's where they film about 50% of the content for Shark Week. Mm -hmm. It's there in Seal Island in South Africa where uh, are the biggest steady congregations of great white sharks. And there was a lot of them. And they love to eat tuna. Which really? Is, yeah, it's crazy. You get to see the great whites maul these tunas? Yeah, it was, yeah. Wow. Um, so they would just sit right past visibility, like right at when you would start seeing color and they would just do laps around the boat. And these people, you know, 
like I said, light tackles. So you're, some of these fish, uh, you're fighting for an hour, two hours, and it's it's pretty tough. You know, having somebody fight a fish for an hour and a half, and you finally get him at color, and you finally see him, and you just have a great white shark just mosey over to him, take one bite, and literally hundred pound hundred pound bites easily. Wow. And it's just they take people's soul. But uh, I mean, honestly, how many times did you see a great white eat a tuna there? Oh God, too much. Really? Yeah. I'll show you. Uh, uh, I gotta. I'll show you some pictures later. But I mean, you, just endless amounts of tuna bites we probably do the fishermen there said that there's a lot more great whites now uh so that's actually an interesting story but uh yeah we probably a day probably had 10 fish get eaten by great whites a day a day yeah if if you had people that uh weren't great at pulling on fish uh it was you you we had to go at it a very different way um uh, at Guadalupe, and I'll explain that in a little bit. Uh, but uh, what did you ask again? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was saying, does like do the fishermen there think that there's like less oh, that's sharks right. or less so, sharks? Uh, unique story about those things. So they weren't always there. So about I guess 15 to 20 years ago, they started to show up um, for whatever reason. Like they used to just not be there, and then they started to show up, and they weren't a problem. They didn't need any of the tuna. They didn't need any of the yellowtail. Um, they just hung out and they were around. I don't know what they were feeding on. And, of course, it's a great white shark, and you want to, like, mess with this giant animal. So they started putting tunas on ropes, tuna heads on ropes. And, that's, them, and that's, what got them, that's what got them keyed into the tuna. So they created their own monster. So that's pretty – I mean – that's pretty uh, is that pretty the wild. way that they look at it really yeah it said they were like two, they three. must have been doing it a lot huh yeah Eating i mean she's a great white shark i want to see i want to see it, it up yeah. next he doesn't want to see it right. exactly they're amazing animals like they're so until so you giant, see yeah, yeah until you see them like right that's next crazy year, i didn't realize like, that happened that often i really didn't do you oh, have yeah. any videos of that on there i do i have i don't have like a video of of one actively getting like, eaten chomping on it yeah um, I do. We did do the tuna head on a rope one trip and got some cool underwater footage of that. But <laughs> I have a bunch of fish getting pulled over that are uh, missing missing stuff. Seventy to eighty pound sections. Uh, <laughs> a lot of that. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. They just they just didn't key into tuna until they started feeding them, and then they started keying yeah. into them. That's crazy. But it just I just it just it's curious. It just makes me curious because we you know. Back after Jaws, they killed a lot of great whites, and that was like, oh yeah, you know what, what people did, they, you know, that was that was like doing yep. doing your service. Yeah, <laughs> Frank Mundus, he started it off, epic, uh, legendary captain. Yeah, and, and um, a legendary icon in uh, to all charter fishing uh, with the cricket too. Actually, funny story, one of the guys who was retired but would fill in sometimes would fish. He was from the Northeast and fished with Frank Mundus, and he he said he. He killed multiple thousand-pound bluefin with him, and as he, they said, they killed a lot of great white sharks with him. Really? <laughs> Imagine well. boating a great white. Like, what? Yeah, the hell? I know. <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy to think about, but like, it makes you wonder. Like, 
you know, if we're taking everything else out of the ocean and we're not doing anything to manage these sharks, you know, oh, yeah. and and, the, and then like on, yeah, you definitely could. But you can, one more thing on this is I've seen the thing on Shark Week about uh, killer whales like flipping over. I don't know if you saw, but they'll like flip over the great whites and eat the liver. Oh, yeah. Out of the great it. white. And to yeah. me, that's a sign of the environment trying to balance it out. Maybe if they're doing it a lot. You no, know? that's yeah, it's definitely that's definitely a. <laughs> A valid point, a you valid know, argument, like, right? Like something's got to, you know, try and level this out because that that really is the apex predator. Really. Oh yeah, <laughs> I don't want to mess with orcas. <laughs> no, sir, you cannot get me. Dude, they've seen them out the here. Water. Have you seen them out here? No, not yet. It's crazy. One of a uh, a Jacksonville guy is running a boat right now, and or he brought the boat that he runs down to Los Sueños, and they had a pod of like eight or ten hanging around the boat. That's, That's some crazy, epic man. video. That's yeah, that happened yesterday. Yesterday, really? Yeah, Clay, I think it's Clay Crabtree. Man, I haven't been that lucky yet. I've I've talked to a lot of people that have seen them, but maybe yeah. one day I'll I'll get to see them. I didn't see any killer whales in uh in California either. You do see so many whales. Oh my God, there's so many so many whales. There's so much life over there. That cold water just is just a it just has so much of an abundance of life. And if like if you go to like when I go to bluefin fishing in North Carolina, there's just so much life. There's so many birds, so much bait. So many yeah. fish, whales. Like we saw, uh, you know, tons of humpbacks, uh, lots of fin whales. Uh, we saw false killer whales. They followed us for like a hundred miles uh, one time on the way down to fish the lower banks. Uh, but uh, the cra- uh, one of the craziest things is the blue whales. It's just ridiculous how how you've seen a blue whale. Oh, there's a million of them over there. And where like at the Guadalupe? Or? Everywhere. Really? Like, just you pull out of, I remember the first time I saw them, we were pulling into Ensenada to check in. That's the only place you have to check in to uh, fish uh, those Mexican waters because it's like a national park. So we were pulling into Ensenada, and there was like four of them. I was like, oh, my God. And the guys were like, yeah, they're, they're like, oh, it's a blue whale. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to see 100 more. <laughs> uh, those things like, are giant. Huh? Yeah, the way I describe it, it's like uh, – it's pretty much just like a 747 fuselage that swims. It's just, they are so big. Yeah. It is crazy how big they are. I've seen I've seen like sperm whales and stuff out here. I've yeah, seen I've seen those humpback whales out here, quite a few times. Um, but I've never seen. I don't think I've ever seen a blue whale because they say you can tell it's like. I think those are only in the <coughs> West Coast. I believe. I don't really? know. Yeah, there's just so much, so much life. So many birds. The albatrosses there are really cool. There's tons of those. And, yeah. So, so you 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 were there for one full season, which mm-hmm. starts from what what month to what month? We we had a shorter season, so uh, we started. I think our first trip left at uh, the beginning of June, and we ran through mid December. And okay. uh, it's all turn and burns. Uh, yeah, I run on a fifty nine and a sixty nine day streak of, of of working. So the way it works is, uh, like you come in, uh, get yeah. ready, and you, go. You you tie up. Back at the dock, between 5 and 6 a.m., um, you offload the people, offload their stuff, and then uh, it's an ungodly amount of fish. What they have over on the West Coast is fish processors. There's three major ones in San Diego, and they'll be at the docks every morning. And uh, you, uh, we offload the fish after we offload the people and their stuff, and uh, you get to pick, you know, which one. We didn't so – there's some boats that have – uh, partnerships with some of the processors, but we didn't like if whatever processor you liked, you just take it to them and they'll, you, everybody has tags that are stapled on. Mm-hmm. 
So they'll just keep track of your fish like that. They'll weigh them. That's um, a at the dock. Keep pair, keep track of everybody's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stable guns. You got good at them. It's like a <laughs> like a little like quick draw McGraw on the on the staples. But uh, yeah, they just wait there at the dock and then they take it to their processor and it's essentially a warehouse with twenty guys that are badass at flaying fish, and they fillet it and uh, back seal it and label it and freeze it and they can ship it as well and they'll store it for you for a pretty good amount of time too. So that's the way that works. But uh. So what what's the limit for people? Like, how much fish would they bring these people? Oh yeah, it's it's the Mexican laws are so weird. I'll so get you go off the Mexican laws, not American. Well, if you're off the coast of Mexico, which is where we were probably ninety nine percent of the time, but okay. uh, American laws too. Or, but I'll get into the Mexican laws are goofy. So, uh, type at five or six a.m. Offload people, offload their stuff, offload the fish, um, and then we would uh, clean up a little bit and then go get fuel and continue that process we would have to go pull to a fuel dock you would clean up and then uh you know while we're getting fuel because it takes forever i think we held almost four thousand gallons of fuel mm-hmm. and uh we got back to the dock probably at like 10 o'clock then you load groceries um for the next trip and then you load the people and their stuff for the following trip and then we had like between like an hour and like 30 minutes of time by yourself in between trips to where you can go say bye to somebody yeah just do so i would do (laughs) what i would do i I was betting on sports a lot back then so what i do there's a coffee shop within walking distance and um i would pick all my bets that week and download i was watching rewatching game of thrones so i would download youtube videos and download uh seasons of game of thrones and uh just sit there and just be alone and just, you know, it, it was, those were, those, those kind of get you through the week. Just that little, that little alone time, time being, the, being part of society. And uh, <laughs> like we, we were one of the few boats that didn't have Wi-Fi, So it was like no connection. The only thing that we got uh, any kind of touch with the outside world is there was a serious uh, satellite radio in our kitchen. And luckily, thank God it showed the scores of the games. Uh, Cause, uh, I was, I mean, the chef, uh, the chef and the assistant chef, they would get annoyed with me some Saturdays and Sundays because I'd poke my head in there a million times checking all these lines and scores and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so you'd have those thirty minutes to an hour, and then uh, you would leave right before noon, and then you would go to the bait receiver, and we held two hundred fifty passes of uh, live sardines, and then you are off to the show. Wow. And do, isn't it true, somebody told me that the bait people get, like, a percentage of you guys' trip, so? Is well, I mean, it works, we, or do you just buy the bait? You just buy the bait. You just buy the bait. Okay. Yep, yep. It's, it's yeah, it's a little, it's expensive. Somebody told me there was, like, a relationship with the bait boats and the and the charter boats where they actually get, like, a percentage of the charter, but maybe that was some maybe other Maybe that's deal. for private charter. I'm not sure, but. Probably some other deal. Yeah, they, uh. <laughs> Yeah, the bait's pretty expensive, so they they help them out and they keep the cured bait mostly for the long range people. How much? Uh, how 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 much bait would you guys get? Do you have any idea? Yeah, so we took we held two hundred fifty passes, and depending on the grade of the bait, that was probably between thirty and fifty baits uh, per pass. Per pass, okay. Yeah. Uh, so the way that uh, first of all, that fishery is one hundred percent based on live bait. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's yeah, an endless stream of freebies over the side. Uh, uh, we had to be, 
you know, we couldn't be super generous with the freebies because we, we held a limited amount. And you have to, you know, fish you can't get six, rid seven of all days. Of it, yeah. yeah. But the way it worked, so we had three index slammers. Uh, there was the port side one was just for fish. And on the way out, we would fill that up with uh, water and salt and chill it. And we actually, that's where we store the fish. It's called uh, RSW, refrigerated seawater. And what we use to keep that water at 28, I think it's 29 degrees, because that's when bacteria growth stops. Um, and that's, those fish are salt and it's all salt water and you put salt in there so it doesn't freeze, but it keeps them cold. Um, fill that thousand gallons up. So that's the bait store sit, swims in there at 28 degrees? No, 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 no. That's where you store your fish after you kill Oh, them. that's okay. So that's, that's your that bait. That's your, your hold. Right. Okay. So the hold is the far left one. And then we have a center and then a, uh, starboard slammer. And those started as thousand gallon live wells. And then we had three tops in the back which held 25 passes each. Um, so I would say those are probably three to 400 gallon live wells, three of those. And then we had like two smaller wells in the bow that were probably 100 gallons each. But uh, yeah, it's a shitload of bait. Um, and we could, over time, and as we needed it, turn those other two live wells, those two to index slammers, um, we could turn it into fish storage. So, uh, we had, you know, the option to have more fish. So it's, yeah, it's such a unique industry and it revolves completely around live bait. The easiest way of the, like one of the first things that I was told is like, if the easiest way to get fired is if you turn a live well, if you kill a live well, you were pretty much, they might just kill you out there because <laughs> that's everything. That's everything. If yeah. you don't have that, you're right. It's like, right. and it, you're gone for a week. It's not like you can go all the way back into the bait receiver in san diego it's right yeah it's wow. uh it's everything in that That's fishery crazy. so you so uh the limits like how, how much fish would you guys keep was there ever a time where you guys would stop oh <laughs> uh, yeah there was a couple trips that we limited out all right that i'll explain it as try clearly as i can uh like i said the mexicans are so goofy with their rules and regulations first of all there is no wildlife or fisheries management people that oversee and enforce the rules. It's the Mexican Navy. So if you want to mess around and take over your limit, you're dealing with the Mexican Navy and not, uh, you know, just a, a separate government branch. And from another thing that I learned, everything that involves dealing with the Mexican people in terms of government is just nightmarish. It is an absolute nightmare horror story. Uh, so you definitely, you kept close track. We had very, very specific, um, you know, tracking of how many fish each person has and, um, how much fish total we had. Uh, so you can take max a three day limit of fish. So it doesn't matter if you have a, 12-day trip or a five-day trip you can only take three days limit you can only keep five of one species per day so like the max yellowfin you can keep is 15 um yellow per tail day. per uh, day per well per five person per, five per day and it would total at 15 per trip okay so yeah wahoo 15 max um and you that means you can max out with 30 fish that was that was your limit and uh, here's where it gets goofy. Certain fish count as more than one fish. 
So if you kill a big golf grouper or a giant black sea bass, um, that counts as five fish. The worst one is ma or dorado, as they call them over there. Those count as two and a half fish. And the shitty part about that is they are by far the most numerous fish out there. I always say it like this. I, the I, mahi? Uh, yeah. I love mahi, but I, God, I absolutely despise dorado. They are so, <laughs> like, it's impossible. Like, we'll be down, you know, lower bank or mid bank, so of like Thetis Bank or whatever, Wahoo fishing. And they were literally in there by the hundreds of thousands. Like, just and the worst part is they they don't stay that well. They're the only fish that didn't stay well in the RSW. Like they just for whatever reason they just I guess mahi in general. I don't know. I'm not a huge mahi guy unless it's super fresh. But they didn't stay well in the RSW, so you would only catch them, keep them on the last day of the trip. And holy shit, like trolling wahoo, it was just terrible when they got on the banks bad because we had a five person troll rotation. And you just see them porpoising. You know, those boats are essentially have so much water and weight in them. They're displacement holes. We were peeling the paint off if we were going 12 knots. And if we hooked one, uh, one actually caught one of the lures, you can't stop because then your one mahi will very quickly turn into five mahi. So it was the mate's job to reel the mahi in while we were still at troll speed. So it was just, just a gigantic pain in the ass. Uh, <laughs> That happens so much. Like you literally That's strange, though, because they grow a lot faster than most other pelagic species, and they're, like, oh, like yeah. you said, pretty abundant. So I wonder why their reasoning was for them to count as no two idea. and a half fish, two per person. Maybe there's a, co a commercial fishery they really like some, or something like that, like lobby for that. I don't know. Um, That's strange, though. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's annoying. Uh, <laughs> what are some other weird things? I mean, there's, like, uh, the bluefin over there, I think... I think it's five per day, but I think you can only keep max five per trip of bluefin for the Mexicans. And it's like, I think yellowfin is two per, or three per day in the U.S. and two bluefin per day. I don't know. It's something like that. They're, they're we their laws are weird over there. Uh, hmm, and that's like, interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of different um, <laughs> rules there. <laughs> yeah. And you've done, you've, um, moving on from, I guess, all your California stuff, you, uh, did some stuff on the Atlantic side too? Yeah, that's, uh, I did a lot of chartering on, out of Jacksonville. I did that for, I did private charters for three years and, uh. But you I, did the bluefins. Oh, yeah, commercially. Yeah, I do that in December and, uh, I used to do it in February. I'll probably try it again next year. Uh, we go to Moorhead City and Nags Head. Um, yeah, that's, I fish all year to go fish for fish those bluefin for <laughs> a month it's my my favorite thing to do uh i thought bottom fishing was well that's that's <laughs> contentious that's like bluefin is like my guilty pleasure i do a, i do love bottom fishing but catching those bluefin man that's that's special no, i hear you special yeah, bottom animals. fishing's cool until the bluefins are there exactly 100 <laughs> percent right it's like the way we looked at it for speaking from solely commercial fishing like we can grind for an 18 to 25 or 28 hour day getting you know a bunch of vermilion snapper and muttons and mangoes and grouper or whatever or we can sell one bluefin yeah. and make the same <laughs> amount of money uh but we we don't do it for the money we essentially it helps us pay for the who house do you, who do you go who do you go with there my my good friend jonathan okay and he's a good friend of yours yeah he's he's the goat he's the the greatest of all time i say it a lot on my channel uh <laughs> he is bar none the best just all-around fisherman that i've i've ever been around I, I credit you know 
all my fishing knowledge really to him. Really? And, uh, That's yeah. cool. You have a relationship like yeah, that. Yeah, he really look up to him. Like oh that. yeah, he's he is the goat. That's cool. Um, and he uh, he's the one that really. Well, I can't take any of the credit for the bluefin. He really is the one that researched everything extensively and uh he he went for two years and did i think struck out both years uh and now he's uh it's just from accruing local knowledge and gaining friends and being able to get more information he is he's gotten very competitive uh uh in terms of one of the fleet members he's done yeah he's done very well but that's just what he does. He figures shit out, and he, and he catches fish well. What's the biggest one you've caught up there? One twelve and a half, and I think it was a six. Uh, yeah, I watched that video. Six forty six course, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest that, one. That was a course. So that was probably like 800, huh? Yeah, probably. Right it's there. close to it. Yeah, I don't really know what the percentage is in terms of uh I mean, you got the versus, head, the tail, yeah, all the, the guts. guts out. I mean, that's yeah, a lot of Yeah, the damn thing had 30 pounds of of shad in there they call their pogies their shad and like yeah. the shad i re- i refer to shad as those they get gigantic they like get the, big they're cool. yeah like but 12 to 18 eddie burger inches. eddie burger down here calls them blood pogies yeah because they're bloody yeah <laughs> like ours aren't really bloody yeah they are they're big they're really big i guess that's how it is in the northeast it's really i think there's two different breeds of pogies actually like the kingfish pogies size yeah. you know the ones yeah. that we use out I think here there is, yeah. and then the gigantic ones up north that stick primarily to the cold water how many bluefins have you caught up there do you know uh roundabout let's see we caught three in moorhead this past year oh so uh, you went just just this past year yeah yeah uh in december we caught three in moorhead we caught i was there for three of them in nags had wanchies uh last february and then the year before in moorhead we had five well. And then the year before that, we had two, I believe. Um, but Jonathan just went up to Nagshead, and he he had an awesome, awesome season. I think he I think he sold like six or seven. Like he had an incredible year. That's awesome. Yeah, he fished he fished hard. Um, That's pretty cool. I saw that video of you guys with the that big one you were just talking mm-hmm. about, and you also you know a lot about like how to how to preserve these fish and take care of them even on the long range boats i mean you've been yeah, so pretty that's, properly trained huh? yeah that's that's where i learned it um was the way out. they care for fish is is such high detail like uh in terms of like everything like people get pissed if you don't do perfect gaff shots uh yeah so that is the one thing about that job people always talk about that i that i the way i gaff is good like i'm good at gaffing fish but it's like if you worked one year in the long range fleet you will be amazing at gaffing fish too like it's it's just every single fish is gaffed and you have to hit heads or people are going to be pissed at you so you got to hit them in the head and you're gaffing legitimately like 50 to 100 fish a day and then you have to bleed them the right way and then sometimes we will gut the fish as well um not usually but some of some of the fish will gut all the bigger ones we gutted just to get them cold as fast as possible because, you know, that's the other thing about uh, those great whites, you know, after fighting those fish for an hour and then they literally get cut in half down the middle. Uh, the core temperature of those fish after fighting for an hour is ridiculously hot. Like, it's they're legitimately cooking themselves alive. Yeah. yeah it, is, it, is, it is shocking how hot that core meat gets. So that was kind of the thing, like, take your pictures, but make it fast bleed the fish and gut the fish as fast as you possibly can because we have to get this fish in the rsw so it doesn't 
burn it the core. Burn up, yeah. Yeah, so it was it was speed and quickness, uh, proper bleeding. Um, yeah, just everything was everything had to be done perfect. Um, yeah, and you guys, if you want to know uh, anything about how to take care of y'all's fish, I'd also say go check out Joe's Joe's uh, YouTube channel. He's got a lot of videos on there. Yeah, doing that. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, yeah, it's uh, the way that they take care of their fish over there. It makes you feel. I guess it makes you feel better for the amount of fish they kill. I think I still think it's in some cases it's way too much. Um, yeah, I mean I agree, but I can also agree to that because like, I, do you bleed your fish here? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Every time, mm -hmm. all the time. Every fish. And I see, I do the same thing. I bleed all my fish, all my inshore fish, mm -hmm. every sheephead, every black drum, every redfish. Doesn't matter what it is, I bleed it, and um, I feel better about killing the fish whenever I bleed them because I feel like I'm actually you know taking pride in you know yeah, that's right you know taking them and it, the fish is yeah. going to taste better and you know I, I don't i th i used to say i feel like i'm the only one around here that does it but after watching your your, yeah. your channel a little bit i guess you, there's two of us but yeah there's i think bleeding fish is pretty and even the tuna is pretty uh few and far between yeah. um but yeah like just like you said it's just uh you gotta take care of the fish man you're you're taking them and you're negatively not negatively affecting the population nothing like serious but it's just like you're you're just harvesting the fish you need to make it as good as you possibly can and i think bleeding the fish is a, a, a very vital step to improving the quality of meat and improving the taste of the fish but uh i will say that even though we had those enormous fish kills uh pretty much every single trip some trips were terrible but the majority of the trips it's an ungodly amount of fish um, the way that the fish are taken care of and, uh, especially when they're taken to the processor <coughs> and the professionally processed yeah, and everything and vac sealed. And I, I really truly believe that those guys, uh, do eat that fish on a regular basis and a bunch of them give it away. Uh, and I bet those, what do they do with the carcasses there? Do you know what they do? with? Them? I have no idea. Actually, they got to do something with all that. Yeah. Like, you would think, I, mean, I, I don't know. That's a lot of tuna carcass. I uh, I would have to assume that uh, they they give it to the lobster and crab fishermen there. I would have at to the assume. very least. Yeah, <laughs> I would assume that's how they that's how they uh, get rid of them. That's a huge fishery over there. Is their uh, lobster pots and uh, yeah, you know, I always see a lot of waste with our carcasses, and I've had this crazy idea that you, you could make like uh, fish food for fish farms because that's like a big dilemma. Like a lot of the fish food that we feed our fish with in fish farms are actually like GMOs fish. And stuff well, like no, that. well, most of the time they have to actually catch fish. So you're actually taking fish out yeah. of the ocean to feed. You're bastardizing. <laughs> it's like the same thing. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. But like, if we can take the fish that were, you know, the carcasses and make some type of meal out of that, I, I think that would be a cool way to use it. That, yeah, that would be interesting. It sounds expensive though. But yeah, man, um, I've, I got crazy ideas all the time, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so when did you start down here in Venice? A year ago. Um, so, and uh, you, you just linked up with Bob, Bob Hovey with, what's the, what's Louisiana show? Blue Water. Louisiana Blue Water. Yeah, if you want to go I've fish known, with Joe, y'all yeah, look him up. Uh, come on. I, uh, I've known Bob for a while. For whatever, I mean, he kind of, he has a lot of friends in Jacksonville. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Uh, his dad lives there. Um, and we, we've all known Bob for a while. And I was kind of getting tired of the, uh, 
the style of trips that I was doing. I, I wanted to do those 10 and 12 hour trips where you're going out and catching grouper and muttons and stuff. But, uh, so you, you know, the, so uh, you left like the, like, did you like leave San Diego and come here or did you go back uh, to Jacksonville? I went back to Jacksonville and did charters there for a oh, while. Oh, okay. So you went back and did that for mm-hmm. a while and then came back over here. Right. Um, gotcha. Cool. And I, w- I wanted to do, you know, longer style trips, but I just wasn't, you know, that's, my boss actually bought a 35-foot boat, which is much bigger than what we have. We had 27s, so we could run more of those um, uh, 12-hour trips because through YouTube, I was booking a lot more, and there's a lot more gaining interest um, in that fishery. And we did book more trips, but it's like, you know, they're not going to say no to a 6- or an 8-hour trip. Like, they're going to they're gonna take it if you can book the boat. Right. So it turned into a lot of... of six and eight hour trips and four hours well i didn't do a lot of four hours in the in the later year but uh it just like i said it's the bottom fishing inside of 30 miles sucks it really yeah yeah it was just i was just so tired of it and just, i know what you mean you just was getting monotonous you weren't yeah, catching anything cool. it's, you were you were in it for the money not really like <laughs> yeah not i mean not even that it's just like it's just like you're you're busting your balls for trying to get like maybe four or five keeper bee liners and maybe some like ringtail porgies and if you get really lucky you might catch a trigger fish or you might get a cobia or something like that it was just like it was just it got so in this mid middle of summer like especially if a thermocline came around it just completely shut everything off like it was just it was just i was ready to do something different um and i couldn't afford a boat at the time so uh, i moved out here because it would be good for content uh and uh you know, I guess that's a it's a revenue stream for you with the YouTube. I mean kind of. It's it's keeps it's uh it keeps me going, I guess. It's nothing like I'm not making buku bucks on the YouTube, but uh it it's enough to like, you know, help pay my bills and things like that. Encourage the channel. <laughs> yeah, and it it books trips too. So uh, that's that was the other bonus from that and uh you know, having having viewers on the boat uh, the tips were better as well, so uh, that helped out a lot. So I gained probably more monetary value from booking those trips with those guys than anything else. Um, but I really just do YouTube because I enjoy it. I just I thought it was fun. When did you start it? Uh, like 2017 is when I started filming. I always had a GoPro and make like little shorts or whatever, but uh, uh, I just thought it looked really fun when David Dobrik and his friends were filming stuff, and I was like, I want to do that too. It was like, we the stuff we do fishing wise is really cool and unique. I think people would watch it. Um, cause yep. yeah, it's, and filmed it and just, I just did it cause I enjoyed it. I wasn't making any money off of it. I just did it for fun. And, um, just, that's kind of the same reason I'm doing it now. I just enjoy it. And, uh, that's why I do this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, really the thing that really sprung my channel, uh, like I, I, I talked earlier about Jonathan Moran, how I can, you know, uh, give him all the success I have in terms of the fishing world, just in terms of knowledge and everything. I can uh, credit uh, Gay Barrington with the with that same level in terms of YouTube. He's really what sprung my channel, just doing stuff with him and filming with him. And he, uh, Gabe and I have actually become, he's one of my really, really good friends now. I talk to Gabe all the time. And, um, we hang out a lot. We went to the Keys. Uh, Is he a this YouTuber winter. as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Blue Gabe. Uh, yeah he's deer meat for dinners brother that's a more i guess household name he's been around forever uh 
But yeah, Gabe is probably the biggest um, channel on the platform in terms of uh, U.S. outdoors. He is crushing it right now. Really? Wow. Yeah, he does a lot of cool stuff. Uh, he travels a lot. He he never ever stops working. He truly doesn't. It's really rare that um uh like he takes time off to like exhale. It's super rare. I don't. Th- I've seen it one time, and just it was because he was just going through it, <laughs> just with with everything. He was like, I just need to. I was like, I just need to take a rest. I was like, Yeah, you need to do this like decently often so you don't go insane but he works so damn hard yeah. it's impressive to watch and that's what it takes to to uh be successful at that level of any level the amount of focus and time and energy and thought that are, that it takes to be that successful at something it's uh it's like all or nothing really yeah and i really believe that man like people people come at me all the time um or really all the guys with the Mexican Gulf that we should start a YouTube channel. We should, you know, start a YouTube channel now. I'm like, I think I have a pretty, I mean, I don't because I've never done one, but I have a, a fairly decent idea of the amount of time and effort that that takes to have a very successful YouTube channel. And yeah, these guys can make money doing it and everything, but at that point it's going to turn into a job if you're going to be that good at it. Yeah, you, know? you would have, for, for what you, you, what you guys could do is definitely a, so two conks in uh, Marathon, Florida, mm-hmm. in the Keys, they yeah. have they have like their own TV show, and they are the biggest charter fleet uh, probably in America. I would have to assume they have like thirty damn boats now. Um, they have like a full TV show. It's on Waypoint. Uh, so it'd be very possible to do that. Uh, you would have to obviously hire a full time guy, and probably like a filmer. <laughs> yeah, someone that would be able to jump on the boats and film, and then take that footage and edit it. Uh, I've actually never seen it. It's called All or Nothing. I don't know how, what, like, way that they do their stuff. If it's, like, it's just individual boats and individual days, or it's kind of like a where they jump around stuff from boat to boat on that same day. But, yeah, it'd be very possible for a company like that to hire somebody full-time. You have enough, I mean, especially Mexican Gulf, because there's, I mean, they're just rolling in money. I mean, you don't, <laughs> you don't have seven seven or eight Freemans by accident. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it would help. It'd be good for advertisement. It'd be we, interesting. We've tried to start um, start something. We're not very organized with it yet, but we, we put out one little video that we went and filmed in, like, December. We didn't catch a ton. Um, but it's something that we've, we're, we're kind of playing around with right now. We're trying to figure out exactly, like, how – how to structure it and everything. Maybe somebody like you can help us help us out with it. But my whole idea for it would be that like all of us could go fishing together because we don't get to fish a lot together. You know, we're always on different boats and everything. Yeah. And, but we all could go together like once or twice a month and make that that the show. You know. But um, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to turn into. I know that uh, Kevin and Billy have been really pushing it. So we're hopefully yeah, this year we get you, something going. It'd be very possible. You just but the thing with YouTube is all about <laughs> consistency. So. That's it. If you right? guys yeah. wanted to do it as as good as you possibly could, you would have to probably hire someone to like a six month contract, and he would have to ride along on trips. And you would hopefully post one or two videos a week if you really, really wanted to do it. If you're paying somebody full time, you might as well do two videos a week. Try to. Sometimes you just can't because weather and fishing sucks. But yeah. uh, it'd be very possible. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't want to get off on that too much. I know we'll talk about maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more yeah. after yeah, <laughs> we're done with right. the show. But um, 
so uh what have you thought about your time here in venice i mean you you fished a whole year like what do you think about the place mm. <laughs> uh venice is one of the more special places in this country uh you know riding around in you know back in the bayous and stuff like that it's really it, i th- it's kind of like alaska it's just an untouched part of this country that not a lot of people get to see and it's it's amazing i mean the amount of life back there the amount of alligators uh you know ducks and i mean it's it is truly a sportsman's paradise it's super special i i implore anybody that especially if you like to fish or the outdoors to come out here and you have to do a day inshore fishing so you can see that right um yeah that's that's i tell everybody that's never gone to venice you got to do a day offshore but you also have to do a day inshore you have to that's, experience everything. that's what i try to tell everybody too like you know some people come with me and they'll say oh we like this better than the offshore or, or vice versa and i'm like no you, ju- you just got to come see it all it's it's not you got to go see one or the other there's just so much to see you got to do you got to do both for yeah. sure <laughs> um yeah it's a special place the fishing is uh incredible and the 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 breadth of the fishery, what you can fish for, and how good the fishing is for so many species. It's uh it's so unique. There's almost too much stuff to do here. Like it's yeah. that's uh, I mean we Yeah, your tackle box can get really big. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> it's broad. It is very broad. Yeah. Um but that's what makes this place special. I mean, there's so much cool stuff to do here. Yeah. And like you could sit back at the camps all day and just talk about like well it's like let's go deep drop and let's try to find some tile fish like oh let's it's like you know what let's try to get some marlin on the boat it's like oh like you know let's uh let's try to find those flounder let's try to find those largemouth you just go all day yeah. long let's go set some trout it's lines. crazy and all this stuff you're talking about can really be found in like a 20 square mile area oh, or, or smaller or smaller you know yeah <laughs> how yeah. how diverse it is and so close you know it's it's insane yeah but yeah, the fishing is incredible, but being back on land is is tough. Yeah. Uh, uh, living here is not great, uh, but once you're offshore or in the boat, it's it's yeah, like it, it doesn't even the land doesn't even matter. It's just you. I find my joy and peace out there, and yeah. I try to I try to you know think of that more than anything else. Almost brainwash myself in a way just to keep my spirits up because. It's it's uh it's rough living down here. It's a culture <laughs> shock for sure. Yeah, yeah it no is, grocery right? stores, two restaurants. Uh, you know, it's it's tough when the weather gets bad because it's like I'm down here by myself for like weeks at a time. It's just like, yeah, yeah, it's it gets miserable. But um, I keep myself busy with editing, luckily, and so usually that's how I try to eat up that void of time. Yeah. But it's all worth it once you once you get back out there. I think the other hard part about living down here is there's there's a huge community of uh, charter boats down here, but you know most of the charter captains will live down here for 150, 200 days a year, whatever mm-hmm. whatever the amount of time that they fish. But nobody really lives here; they all yeah. leave and they're go all, back. They all are, they're all in New including, Orleans, including myself. <clears throat> New Orleans, so, Baton Rouge, and Lafayette seem to be the places that everyone lives yeah and um and so what happens is like they all have to get back to their family but their their families are never down here so there's no like community around the the, right. the charter captains and it's it's kind of a difficult 
you know, thing. Because, like, if everybody's family did move, like, everybody's wives and kids and everything did move down here, it, it wouldn't would be, be so bad anymore because they, they would have more things going on and different, probably different restaurants and different things like that would spring up. But be less degenerate. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah there's that's, just that's not. That's a very interesting point. I mean, there's just not, um, there's not a lot of community. People don't want to invest in their lives down here. A lot of, a lot of people point at hurricanes, and it's a very, you know, oh, yeah, viable yeah. reason. You, you know, um, building and and investing in, in land down here is a hard thing to do, to want to do. Whenever, considering the state of the river system, and you know, um, where, where where you know what happens when a hurricane comes down here, you know, levee breaks, you, you can't get down yeah. here for a year sometimes. You know, yeah, true. <laughs> After Katrina, that's what it was. So mm-hmm. that's a uh, <coughs> that's one thing I did notice about. New Orleans, and it's just, it's kind of depressing being in that city, because it's just like, I don't think it's ever going to get back to where it was pre-Katrina. It's just, it's just, a you can just, just driving through the city, driving over the bridges, going past the Superdome and stuff like that, you can just tell that it's, the city is definitely like a shell of what it once was, and just, it really makes you hurt for the city of New Orleans and the state of Louisiana, like their pride and joy was just wrecked by that hurricane. It was, man. A lot of the restaurants and stuff, though, are still around and mm-hmm. um, really good places to eat down there. And hopefully the Mardi Gras was good this year. <laughs> yeah. I'm afraid to go up there. The city is uh, <laughs> city's interesting. I haven't spent much time in it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's a special place, too. Yeah. Man, I, you know, I will say about Venice, though, a lot of the, the, the captains and everything down here, they, there is a ton of, like, just – unique characters <laughs> oh yeah god there's, there's so yeah there's so many unique personalities and stuff yeah. that exist down here as it's, fishing it towns go fun, right? it's pretty uh diverse i say in, <laughs> in terms of care and people down here and there's so many damn captains down here too right and it's just a that's all it is down here it's clients and captains uh like you said that is that is kind of does bring some light to kind of how the i guess the vibe you would say of venice how it's kind of it is lacking that larger sense of community. It's kind of yeah. You know, there's like a there's like a gap or a void that isn't filled because yeah. of that. But it's like it's filled when I go to the marina. Like when I like, I was telling my wife this other night that like my favorite place to go out now nowadays is Venice Marina because yeah, yeah. I know everybody there and there there's everybody there I can relate to. Everybody's gone mm-hmm. fishing that day. Whenever I go out back home. I mean, some some people I find and I can connect with really well, but it's just different. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Venice Marina is, is the spot. That's where all the people I know and around are. But it's yeah, like, right. but it's like at the same time, all these people are going home <laughs> at some yeah. point or another. But another and, and and pointing out to the the type of clientele that we get here, you know, people aren't coming here and fishing as an afterthought like they would in Florida or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like you're coming, coming here, here for a reason for fishing yeah. <laughs> and that's what you are doing it's kind of fishing so. it's kind of what i described earlier with those guys and doing the long range uh trips it's it's an investment and it truly this is one of the more expensive places probably in the world in the world to, to go fish yeah for a day yeah 100 yeah. it it's you know because it's if you really do venice right you really have to stay down here you really have to get a houseboat for at least two nights you know yeah the night before and the day of the trip you would stay in there and the trips are expensive, but because the boats we use are are so high grade, it's ridiculous. Like the fact that Freemans and Yellowfins are like the standard issue 
boat here <laughs> is just it's absolutely just ridiculous it's 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 insanity oh the nice boats yeah, yeah every crazy. i mean everybody has them like these mm-hmm. boats are so expensive but it's what you have to do here because you have to make your days you like you yeah. know the boats they pay for themselves because you can fish on some of those days on those freemans that you know no other boat can fish like it's, it's those boats are truly incredible pieces of machinery they are <laughs> um but because you have eight hundred thousand dollar boats trips are very expensive uh the fuel is expensive uh staying down here the lodging isn't too bad uh but it's just it's a lot it's yeah. a lot for people to be down here i'll touch on that just a, just a just a bit is whenever you're coming down to venice everybody and I, I want everybody that comes down here to really enjoy their time i do recommend just like joe said staying at least two nights um if you're doing and, and fishing for two days but also plan to cook for yourself oh uh, yeah that's a big thing i know i know that people um whenever you go out of town and stuff um you like to go out to eat and you like to you know that's one of the things that i commonly people ask me when they're coming down here is where should we eat and what i would tell you is to maybe get steaks for one night and then plan to cook your fish for another night and um maybe like whoever's booking the trip you hand all the booking and then just delegate the cooking to one of the other people in the party invite somebody that wants to do all that kind of stuff because you know there, there's something pretty cool about cooking for yourself in a camp right. because the people everybody doesn't go anywhere mm-hmm. there's nowhere for them to go so right. whenever you like if you want to <laughs> yeah exactly so if you want there's something kind of cool about it if you really think about it like yeah, truly yeah if if you you you're trying to entertain your family or your people in business and stuff like that and you really want to get to know them cook a meal and y'all hang out at y'all's camp whenever you you know go out somewhere you, there's a lot less of interaction that happens during that time between going to and from and you know what part of the table you sit at just try to embrace being down here cook for your party and you know try to embrace that side of it and don't worry about going out to eat and if you do Cook your ketchup at Venice Marina. It's, it's a pretty yeah, good way to go. <laughs> black velvet's phenomenal. That's what I always suggest. The yeah, black baked velvet pota- too. <laughs> the seafood baked potato was a staple of of South Louisiana or Venice, really. And yeah. Like the, I tell everybody's like you have to go to Black Velvet and you have to get the seafood baked potato because it's a <laughs> it's incredible. That's probably like top three favorite meals on this planet for me. But yeah, but go, going good. back to cooking, you do have to bring everything. Like, yeah. like you got to bring your olive oil. You got to bring your spices. There's, we are 70 miles from Walmart. Yeah. Here, so. There's a Rouse's up the road right before you get on 23. I would highly suggest uh, getting all your stuff, getting your stuff, your lunches, you know, your cold cuts or whatever. Yeah. Um, there is not much down here. There's no produce either. So yeah, literally everything that you're going to eat, you probably should bring. <laughs> yeah. And, and speaking of that too, like, you know, almost all the charters require you bring all your own food and drink Mm -hmm. so just keep that in mind and you know always bring more than enough and um i mean it's i don't know it's a good time it definitely is a good time it's a it's a a different experience it definitely is (laughs) so uh moving on from this joe what do you think your your next moves are man you gonna stay down here for a while you think or do you know not really know we'll see um you know i've moved here to run boats and i haven't seen that yet so hopefully that's 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 what you want to do. You want to be a captain? Yeah, I mean I I've done my time as a mate. I was a mate for a long time, <laughs> and uh, you know. But if I I think it will. Uh, you know I I've done everything I've needed to. I've got a new truck to pull the Freeman. I I just outfitted an entire boat worth the tackle. So uh, I hope it works out because I got no money left. 
<laughs> yeah, I just got luckily. Thank you, uh, like thankful for so my sponsors, like Nomad and SeaWorks and Okuma. Uh, if it weren't for them, I would not financially be able to live. So they really, really helped me out, and those good people at all those companies. I, nice. t- I actually had a video with all the stuff that I bought. I literally, I just had to lay it all out because I had to organize everything. I was like, I might as well just do a video. Do a video yeah. of it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I want to stay down here. I do. I you do? do? You want to stay down here, fish? Yeah. Do that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about going anywhere else, like Alaska or Costa Rica, anything like that? Bahamas. Um, you know, I've, I say that I've, I think I'm done moving. You know, I did the California for a year, and if I go back to Jacksonville, I don't know if I'd move again. I've had you know offers to do some stuff in like the Keys, and uh, that's about it. I mean, if yeah, I probably would just end up in Jacksonville. I don't, I don't see my. I need to settle down. <laughs> what are you mainly in it for? Like you're, you just want to catch fish. Is that it? You kill shit. Kill shit. That's why. I, that's why I do it. I like killing stuff. There you go. I that's just love. Cool. Yeah, it's just I love fishing. Deep desire to fish, right? Yep. <laughs> all right, man. Well, it, this was a really cool interview. Um, I want to ask you one last question. I ask all my guests, and that's, um, what more do you think we could do as, um, maybe a community of fishermen or whatever you want to call us like what do you think we can do to you know like better preserve this this uh species or this this uh everything everything fishery fishery yeah um (laughs) really honestly it just goes back to uh to taking care of what you harvest uh like it all goes it all circles back to that eventually um you know you gotta it's the worst i almost i Almost, I don't feel as bad as uh, commercial fishing. I really don't because I know 100% of that fish, even though it's a ton of fish, is going to get eaten by somebody and enjoyed, and it's going to be fresh and good, um, and it's going to get eaten. Uh, I feel like, especially here with the amount of fish you get sometimes, that like a lot of it probably gets wasted. and Because uh, it's not handled properly. That is just, or it just sits in your freezer for a year. And it's like, oh, yeah, we caught this in Venice in 2020. Uh, let's throw this away now. So I always, I always, if you have a lot of fish, I just implore people, like, give more away than you're comfortable giving away. Because you're going to get sick of tuna eventually. Like, you have, you'll have, like, 200 pounds of, fil- of fillets of, of tuna. Like, you got to give this away. Like, you're going to get sick of it. It's going to be in your freezer forever. Just give it away. Just bless people with it. Yeah. Um, really, people that's... People are so kind of stingy and greedy when it comes to their fish. To, it, at least that's what the yeah. mindset you get whenever they right. leave, you know? And that's... Yeah, that's that's why I implore them, like, more... Give away more than you're comfortable with. You know, it's... Uh, I mean, it is... Like, I guess that's the uh, product or the reward for the people's investment down here. So there is, I see why people kind of want to hoard it, but, uh, really just taking care of the fish after we kill them is, is the most important thing I believe. Uh, I just hate seeing fish get wasted. Like I feel, I feel like I said, I feel way better about, you know, killing multiple thousand pounds of fish, uh, commercially than I do. Uh, yeah, I've heard. Yeah. I've had other uh, guests on the podcast say that yeah. before. Yeah, um, just, some I, of the ones that have fished commercially, and it makes a lot of sense, you know, um, to hear that. Mm-hmm. I think because I think you're right. I think I think a lot of the people that I mean, ignorance is bliss, right? Like, right. If you don't know how to take care of your fish, or you've never experienced what it's like to have 
um, 100 pounds of fish going home with you, or a lot more than that, a yeah. lot of times, and you and you don't know you don't know what to expect. How long, you know, what's it gonna taste like after six months of it being in my freezer, mm-hmm. you know, and um, all that kind of stuff. So I mean, you know, I've even had I had kind of a an argument one time, or not an argument, a discussion with somebody one time, and they were saying that they think that uh, charter boats should have different limits than recreational fishermen, kind of for that reason. And at first I was like, man, that's kind of crazy to think about. And then I was like, well, you know, we do have a lot of advantages fishing every day mm-hmm. and, you know, having all that. And and then also, too, that these people don't know what it's like to have all this fish a lot of right. the time. Right. So, I mean, I'm not saying that we should do that, but I, I definitely see that side of the argument. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if that'll help that much. Um, it's possible, I mean. But really what needs to change, and this is pr- this goes through – you know, all fisheries, all states, the Gulf and Atlantic, uh, the uh, limits, number limits, they they have to be changed. So this was a big issue in uh, the Atlantic side of Florida uh, a couple years ago because they, they closed flounder for the first time ever mm-hmm. um, during the best time of year to catch them in the fall. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kept it open commercially. And they exceeded, they, they moved it to a bigger, or yeah, bigger minimum size and reduced the uh, number for your bag. And people were up in arms because like, oh, the commercial fishermen are still, are, are, are the ones that are destroying the fisheries. Like, why do they get to fish? And the recreational guys, like, we, like, he's like, this, is, this isn't helping anything. And that's 1 million percent not the case. The commercial guys aren't aren't doing anything to put a dent in that flounder population there because you know how i know that because if it was good money and easy then i would be doing it and i'm not (laughs) doing it so there's some guys that do it commercially yeah but the what has happened is it's all the recreational people if you look at the amount of people that have saltwater fishing license in the state of florida it's like when they from what the time that they've made those original regulations to now it's like like multiple thousands of percentage increase of people like it's 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 uh it's been a gigantic boom of people that are fishing like there's more people fishing now more than ever like and it's not it's not even close yeah so back in the day when you know say there was you know a thousand people that had licenses in in we'll just say the greater jacksonville florida area now it's like 10,000 people and if you keep the same size and the same numbers for 10 times the amount of people like it's not going to go well for the fishery like everything needs to be adjusted accordingly Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, that was just an interesting uh, I guess you could see it and it really brought into perspective uh, how fishing needs to change in in response to its booming increase of popularity there's so many people fishing now yeah. and i think i like you know the idea of moving up minimum size and not like cutting it down ridiculously like i think the worst thing to do ever would be like you know the st- i think one of the worst regulations aside from the red snapper in the atlantic is of uh, snowies is one per vessel per day which i it really doesn't make snowy fishing worth it uh, especially in Jacksonville because you have to go 70 miles like you're not going to go that far to catch you're not going to go an extra 20 miles round trip to 
catch one fish maybe. Yeah. Um, so no one really does it. So it kind of helps that deep water complex in a way. It keeps people off of it. But it's like that doesn't help. Um, I hate the the per vessel limits. African pompano is the same way. It's two per vessel in uh, the state of Florida. I think to an extent it's okay. So actually they just reduced the uh, bag limit, boat limit for cobia mm-hmm. in the Atlantic. And that, that desperately needed to be changed because it's this time of year, like in the wintertime, November, yeah. it's uh, it's just a slaughter on the wrecks. Like it's, I, you feel bad for those fish, man. It's just, it, there's one wreck that's hold, that's been holding them very well the past two or three years. Um, and you know, for six, seven years, no one really knew about it. Like we kind of had it all to ourselves. Like it was always epic Kobe fishing. People think they just showed up. It's like, no, it's been like that forever. And then eventually you take the wrong people and where it gets out. And now literally when those Kobe are there, it is like the lump times 10, but all on, you know, this 200 foot wreck. So that's be, crazy. Yeah. It would be one wreck. 40 boats out there with. Uh, four to eight people on them and two per person and it's just a fucking slaughter I just feel bad for those fish man and I mean it was bound to happen everybody yeah. killing these every just this giant kill every day that those people are out there and everybody has to post pictures and everything and social media uh, which I'm part of the help of this but social media is kind of the demise of fisheries in general um, but that's, See, is it good the, that they reduced uh, the boat limit? I think it's two now, which I mean, we are kind of we are the product of our own sin <laughs> in that way. It's just it goes back to like that's just way too much fucking fish. Like, what are you gonna do with eight thirty pound cobia? Yeah. You know, or sixteen thirty pound cobia? Yeah. Like, it's insane. I was I was kind of for the uh, the change in the 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 going to a boat limit for cobia personally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd feel good about that. It's just for those for that species, uh, especially, because yeah. that's not like something. Usually, it's they just you know, it's a right place, right time thing for cobia. It's pretty rare that you go out just to specifically target cobia. The the problem that I do have with it though, going down to a boat limit, like cutting the limit by that far is, is once they take it away, they never give it back. Yeah, that's you know what I mean. That's, so they're never gonna, they're, they're never going to be like, there's a lot of cobia now. So like, well, all right, we'll give you all one more per boat or right. two more per boat. And that's, you know? that's kind of where the evil of the, uh, of the boat limits. Uh, that's kind of where the evil is. In those. Yeah. But like, see my whole thing with the, what we're talking about right now. And I, and I understand that, like, I don't think that we should have, I don't think that we should have limits that allow people to keep too much. Like, 25 speckled trout, to me, is too much. Uh, that people, is one of the most ridiculous 10 mangrove regulations. snapper per person, I feel like, is, is a little excessive. A yeah, I feel like five is enough. Um, but there's there's several examples. Three elephant a tuna per person is, is, is somewhat excessive to me. But I do think that we should try and change the conversation from restricting limits to better habitat. And what I mean by that is that I think that us as humans can do things to make this fishery better than what it used to be. And by this fishery, I mean Louisiana specifically. Mm -hmm. I think certain coastlines are harder to do that with. Um, But ours replenishes very quick. We have the river, we have the loop current, and we have a lot of artificial reefs. Mm -hmm. And uh, by putting more artificial reefs, by, you know, constructing the – constructing the delta 
um, or the the dredge the dredge right. material in a way that we could make this fishery better than what it used to be. And there's a lot of examples of this in 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 hunt in the hunting world that we where we have made things better than what they used to be. Mm-hmm. And that that's my only complaint with a lot of the conservation talk right now is everybody thinks that we should restrict more limits and like i said by all means i do think that it will help monetarily it would help for the next 10 to 20 years but where where do we go after that what are we going to do to make this that's a good point better you know what i mean because like it will help to 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 a certain point but then it's still going to go decline. Yeah. You know what I mean? 100%. It's still, if, but there is things that I believe that we can do to, uh, to make this better. I mean, dude, we've done a lot of things. Like we can send video through the air, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, right. <laughs> like we really? can, we can move some shit around to make it to where like there, that we can harvest, you know, keep harvesting fish right here. You know, mm. one of the most tragic things that is happening in, south louisiana is the instead of just making the cutting the rigs off so guys there's a lot of cutoff rigs here they're you know like 300 foot of water and they'll go down like 100 foot and then just leave the you know the lower half of the rig so it's not a navigational hazard um so i mean it's still fish habitat now they're just they're going what like 100 feet down or 50 feet down and blowing up the entire rig and taking the whole thing like legitimately just destroying the most important thing for these fish's habitats and it's 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 tragic it It really really truly is is. like uh and affects all the fisheries like the guy i think that might affect the trout fishermen the worst because that's like that's where those fish go to breed now you're removing a species breeding grounds like what do you like what kind of impact like obviously you know this whole oil is evil thing and it's not the best thing in the world in terms of just like uh uh i guess uh eco- like e- the ecological impact that oil does and it's not great for the environment but it's like i get they want to take it out but shit you're get, like you are destroying your fishery you're destroying an entire habitat and that's exactly my point yeah. is that is something that humans have put there it was indirectly but we put it there yeah and me and you, as fishermen, it seems to believe that we think that these reefs will make more fish in, in some type of way. Oh, 100%. And, and, and it's just, yeah, it expands everything. Yeah, and so it's, I don't know, man. I You know, like, it, the reason I say a lot of this is because, just like you were saying earlier, that, like, social media and stuff is mm-hmm. kind of the demise of fishing, is through doing this podcast, I, I want to believe the opposite. I want to believe... That if we can get enough people to, you know, if we got enough people that love this resource and want to make it better than what it used to be mm-hmm. and not just, you know, rope it off and say you can't fish here no more. Or you can't keep this kind of fish anymore. That we are part of the environment and we can do things to make our environment better. Then all this will be worth it. You know right. what I mean? Like yeah, we can look true. back. We can look back at it in 30 or 40 years and say, no, we helped grow the love of fishing, and now we have, uh, you know, all this money, billions of dollars to put into, you know, more Back fishing fishery, infrastructure yeah. and stuff like that. And um, that's what I'm hoping for in all this. And, I mean, like, what, what do you think about that? Do you think that the more that we grow these YouTube channels and podcasts and social media channels, like, do you think that, that ultimately we're just, like, screwing up the world? Like, um, I mean, it it's... Like I said, fishing's the popularity has boomed, uh, and it's boomed because of social media. It really has. 
So, um, in a way, it kind it it's it hasn't helped, but it has helped. It's to say it goes back to the same thing. It, it is in ten years. It's going to be about how how we handle it right now and the impact that we have uh, yeah. now that this giant population of people um, has been introduced to fishing and uh, you know like adjustments like I said adjustments need to be made to the to all fisheries yeah. uh, for the amount of people that are fishing but that is one thing that I wish uh, we had a better program for especially in Northeast Florida is uh, you know artificial reefs like they haven't it's been a very long time since a like a big like a ship or anything has been turned into a uh, artificial reef out there but if you go to south florida i mean they're they're putting new fads out and uh new artificial blocks and all this stuff all the time and that's like eventually what it's going to have to come to that's kind of uh a exponential uh i guess figure or uh, that's kind of how it's going to be for the amount of people that fish down there if there's so many there's so many people that fish down there that's like a fishing town Stewart and south florida really in general and for the little amount of of area that they have to fish like it's like, what like three miles of bottom five miles of bottom in some areas and then like you just troll for tuna and mahi and whatever there's so many people in that small amount of space that like they don't have a choice the fishery will probably get destroyed if they don't keep adding artificial reefs yeah. So, I mean, that's just kind of us us from the future, pretty much. If if fishing keeps on growing the way it has, uh, we're not gonna have a choice but to do that. Like we just have to. There's that. Yeah, you just have to combat it by expanding the fishery by getting more yeah. habitat. That's a really good. And point. I think yeah, and I think that Florida is missing out on a lot by not by not letting fads be more available. You know, I, I need to talk to some people over there, but they have put out some fads mm-hmm. over there off the panhandle and maybe other areas. I'm not sure. But, I mean, that is a that is a huge thing to allow standing structures out there for fish because, right. I mean, that's huge. Like, the amount of more fish that can inhabit those reefs, like if you did have a bunch mm-hmm. of of oh, yeah, uh, things that go all the way through the water column yeah, the amount would, of it would change uh, the scope of cobias triple tails uh, like think about how many sheephead would be around if we didn't have like structure right you know what i mean like how many mangroves would be off the coast of louisiana if we didn't have oil rigs you know like th- there's no telling the amount of uh biomass that could increase off the coast of florida with um with, with with more fads and more structure and i think too what would happen you see these red tides a lot of times that's just on the surface mm-hmm. and so these fish can find the 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 body of water that they can they can stay in and they can the fish will learn to combat a lot of these water quality problems if they have structure throughout the the entire water column but yeah, if they don't you know if they don't then they, then bad water moves across the bottom they move off that reef completely mm-hmm. and they might die they might <laughs> you know what i yeah, mean it true. just depends so um I don't know. I think that there's a there's a lot of room for growth with our reefs and and thanks to all the people that are already putting reefs out there. I mean, if you're if you're part of that those programs, right. like keep it going. <laughs> Big win. I met a guy um, in Key West, and they are they're putting fads out in a couple thousand feet of water. They're putting like five fads out. That was that was a humongous win in Key West. Yeah, in Key West, that yeah. is giant. That's going to change the entire scope of their fishery. Like it's it's going to open the doors 100%. back to yellowfin tuna and a 
better, more stable, or more consistent, rather, uh, billfish population, marlin population out there. Like, hopefully, I mean, there's, I've known people, I know people that have tried to do it in Jacksonville, um, to no avail. But, uh, you know, yeah, you got the right people, uh, with the right amount of money and the right amount of, uh, support. And it shows that it can be done because it just got done. Uh, yeah. It's, they're going to be put out there. And that, I, like I said, it it would change the scope of a lot of fisheries if if fads or structure yeah. like that is put off the coast. It really would make everything different. Yeah, and I think, and I you know we'll we'll just go ahead and leave it at this. But I I really uh, I really think that you know as much bad and harm has been placed around like social media and media around fishing, I do think maybe if we have just maybe there's enough people that love it now to where we can start moving in that direction to get us to the next level you know where we can make the fisheries better than what they used to be but man joe i really really yeah, appreciate it, was it. Fun, man. <laughs> i appreciate being on we'll have to do this again sometime yeah man we'll have to go fishing sometime maybe yeah, if you want to well. want to do some filming or whatever oh, yeah, we'll, i'd love to be we'll do a, do a little show together yeah it'd be there. great it'd be great all right, y'all look out for that. And, uh, yeah, guys, thanks for thanks for tuning in again to another episode. Y'all have a good day.